Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center here at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is uh, film, the arts, the Christian, and in particular, Sundance Film Festival. Now, those of you who are aware of the calendar know that the Sundance Film Festival takes place normally in January. It takes place in January. It's not normally. It takes place in January. Um, but we have waited a few months to talk about it to kind of see where Sundance lands. And I have two really qualified people to talk with me about this. First is Claude Alexander, uh, who um, who is a leader at the at the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and has been there for twenty nine years. That's not bad, Claude. That's a good long tenure. Thir- what is that? 33. 33. 33. We need to update your bio. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're chasing me. I'm in my 42nd year here at Dallas Seminary. So there we go. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So, um, uh, and and he also serves as the chaplain for Windrider, a group we'll be talking about later on in the in the podcast. And then Craig Detweiler is president of the Wedgwood Circle and dean of College of Arts and Media at Grand Canyon University, uh, and has a variety of film credits to his name, as well as uh, written several books related to the arts and film, uh, Deep Focus, Film and Theology and Dialogue in particular. So uh, I couldn't have two more qualified people to think about the integration of theology and film than uh, Claude and Craig. So uh, let me dive in. And Craig, I'll start with you. How did a guy like you get into a gig like this? What? How in the world does a, someone who's thinking about theology end up uh, focusing their life on film? I, I think because uh, film animated my imagination and stirred my spirit. Uh, before I had ever heard uh, the words personal relationship and Jesus Christ in the same sentence. Hmm. And so my categories for understanding faith kind of fell in after I tried to understand, like, what does manhood look like based on, you know, Humphrey Bogart or, uh, you know, uh, Robert De Niro or, you know, all of these, uh, you know, maybe non-role models that I was studying in film, but trying to also try to figure out, you know, how to live a, a purposeful life. Um, I guess movies were were giving me an idea of like what happy endings look like and how you write them. And um, so I've always integrated these two things, uh, faith and film. So in the beginning there was film and then there was Christ. <laughs> uh, maybe in my own in my own heart and mind, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's pretty interesting. Uh, Claude, how did you get interested in this topic? Well, well, film was uh, something that my mom and I would, would always do. And so I, I loved film. I mean, I just loved movies. And then uh, in the course of going to seminary at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, there was a course, Theology and Film. Hmm. And that was it. That was, that was all that it took uh, um, in terms of the integration. And so since that was around 1987, so it's been on since 1987. 
And and how does one, Craig? How does one? How does one train? Maybe that's not the right word, but how does one train to integrate theology and film? They, I think, for a lot of people, they seem like two such very different things. Of course, at their core, they're all dealing with issues of life. But uh, but how does one train for that? Well, in in both cases, you're dealing with a text. Uh, one is begins with a written word. One maybe begins more with a visual word with moving images. Um, so. In both cases, you're you're trying to unpack a story. You're trying to figure out um, maybe the, the the surface meaning, and then try to get the subtext. Trying to do some history. Trying to do some homework. So whether you're doing uh, biblical exegesis or maybe a visual exegesis of film, uh, it's it's really similar. It's trying to get at the author's intent. It's trying to get at how it applies and what it means, what it meant in its day, and what it means for me today. And so I don't see it as complimentary. Uh, in fact, in our our, our book, um, we, we talk about the lenses, right, that we bring to film, uh, maybe a visual lens, maybe a, the, a cinematographer's lens, a audio lens, a, a musical lens. And then we're doing the same thing with scripture. You know, we're bringing our lenses of our life and what are the lenses that were influencing the author? And then how do we find, in a sense, God's lens uh, what's the spirit saying to us through that process? You, you know, I was talking to someone um, earlier, well, earlier this week or the end of last week, I guess, uh, about film, about The Chosen. We were talking about that in particular. And I said, what most people don't realize when something like that gets done, how many questions a cinematographer has to ask or a director about everyday life? That, you know, what does this look like? How did this work? How does that happen, et cetera, which most people probably don't even think about being a part of really trying to present a film if you're going to be wrestling with the authenticity of what it is you're looking back, looking at as you look back in time. Well, and, and I think if we, again, go back to Scripture and start to understand why was Jesus pulling all these, you know, our uh, agricultural metaphors or fishing metaphors, it's like, well, that's what he was there. That was the context, right? He's yeah. literally pointing to something that's around, all around that people can see and hear and uh, might be right in front of them as kind of daily reminders um, and, and sermon illustrations. So. so, Claude, as a pastor, and, and I know you've got, you've got family that has stayed in this space as well. I think your daughter, is your daughter still at Windrider working there? No, now she is in Ecuador with the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. <laughs> Girl on the move. That's yeah, called the 20s. Right? That's the 20s. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, but she worked at a while at Windrider. Uh, talk about yeah. your association with Windrider as a chaplain there and what, what uh, attracted you to, to doing that. So, besides the fact that my daughter was there, the fact that, that here is an institution with a theological underpinning, it's tied to Fuller Seminary, uh, that is effectively engaging the arts and culture space in a major way by its presence at Sundance. You don't, you don't get a greater open door than that. And so to see the uh, commitment that John Pretty and, and others have to, to that, to see the level of excellence at which they operate, um, 
to witness the reach. I mean, to be able to bring on these uh, producers and directors of major films uh, to have served in the development of an Oscar winner, all of that appealed to me. And, and it, you know, it was just something I couldn't refuse. So Wind Rider hosts us when we take students to Sundance and um, provides a Christian lens, to use Craig's term, into the world of the arts and thinking about the world of the arts and, and what it offers to Christians. I, you know, when I, when, I, when I tell people that I spend one week out of the academic year uh, at, at the Sundance Film Festival as a New Testament person who also works in cultural engagement, I, I think people look at me cross-eyed and, uh, you know, and say, what? How does that work? So let's talk a little bit about, about film and the arts, because I think this is an important conversation. So let's talk about what is Sundance and why, does, why should what happens at Sundance matter to people uh, of faith? Uh, Craig? Well, it's the uh, largest uh, market for independent film in America. And probably one of the most influential, uh, I would say, in a sense, kingmakers or queenmakers regarding talent, um, new talent. And so going there puts you ahead of the cultural conversation, a solid, you know, six months, in some cases, maybe three, four years hmm. um, at at Sundance. You know, we were there when Ava DuVernay won Best Director way before she did uh, you know, a film like Selma. Uh, we saw Ryan Coogler's first uh, film, Fruitvale Station, far before he did uh, Black Panther. Um, Damien Chazelle uh, broke through with, um, you know, winning a, a film called Whiplash, won at Sundance, way before La La Land was competing and winning Oscars. So it's a chance to meet the culture shapers and makers um, you know, and get in, get ahead of of what's coming, and start to I think exegete the cultural conversation, and think about a, a thoughtful response before it hits the broader culture. You know, you know, Claude. As I think about this, and and this is one of the reasons we take students is it, it's it's a way of putting your ear to the ground and listening to what the culture is wrestling with about life. And, and and thinking through those kinds of issues and hearing people wrestling to put life together who may not have a connection to God but are still trying to ask core questions about how life works. And I find that to be well, you know, pretty fascinating. Well, you know, the, uh, the, the old adage Carl Barth said, you know, have your Bible and a newspaper, mm-hmm. right? Well, in today's society, it's have your Bible and you have film or, or media, visual media. Mm-hmm. And the way in which we come to terms with understanding the, the thoughts, beliefs, feelings, perceptions is really generated through visual arts and visual media. So the opportunity to... Uh, be exposed, as Craig said, six months to three years ahead of time, because independent film, that, that's where it's happening, and that's where the cutting edge is, is. And so to be able to be present there, 
gives us an unusual opportunity worth taking advantage of. And for me, the opportunity is, like I say, putting kind of an ear to the ground with what people are wrestling with and how they see the world and how they are thinking about what's happening in front of them and trying to make sense out of it. I mean, you go to the you go to the film festival and you watch these films that really deal with very interesting kinds of topics. I'm thinking in particular, and I'm trying to think of the name of this uh, as I'm thinking about it, but... Um, you, you sit down and there was one film, for example, uh, I think it's called A Still Small Voice, that took a close look at chaplaincy training in, at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And you're watching chaplains being trained and what they're having to deal with and face at life's, some of life's most traumatic moments. And the filmmaker is trying to process it. Of course, we interviewed the filmmaker, and, and we asked him, so how did this film impact you to be filming these situations where you know, you're, you're ministering to a, a couple that's just lost a child in a miscarriage? Or, or, In fact, the interesting scene was we had a Jewish chaplain who was uh, performing uh, uh, a prayer and a service for a Christian family that had lost a child and was engaged in a form of Christian liturgy as a Jewish person because he was just trying to minister to this person. And it was, it was a very poignant moment in the entire film. Meanwhile, she's struggling with all she's having to cope with in the midst of all that. And and the tensions that that interview. I mean, that's 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 life as it's happening in many ways. Um, so to me, it seems that one of the values is is this ability to to kind of um, overhear what people are wrestling with and struggling with and trying to put life together. And I think that makes for very interesting reflection for someone who is also thinking about about the gospel and what God's doing in the world. Um, just that's an open-ended comment and can go to either of you. Um, what do you think? Bishop? Well, you know, in listening to him, he also had a relative who was in the chaplaincy mm -hmm. that served as the motivation that piqued his curiosity. And so being drawn in through that, um, was it was personal, and you could sense how personal it was by the way in which he made it. Uh, Craig can speak to, to, to how a director's or a producer's personal experience and motivation impacts how a film is done and what one feels. But that's certainly an example of that. You know, from the beginning with, with Windrider, we've always wanted to bring um, aspiring filmmakers who have a chance to kind of learn from role models, as well as ministers in training, or maybe ministers are already in the field, uh, who are trying to figure out, you know, what are those questions being asked by these artists or being asked through the stories that these artists are telling. And so I think Sundance being really strong in the documentary category gives us windows into major world conflicts that are hard to get our heads around. But I think even last year there was 20 days in Maripol. Yep, I'm going there next, so that's good. You Bring know, it up. Right, the Russian invasion. <laughs> yeah. The Russian invasion in Ukraine, right? Couldn't be more timely. And yet to have a camera that's there. Yep. 
right? Sitting with the victims, sitting with the folks struggling with it, it's it's going to move your heart, it's going to move your mind, um, and then it's going to cause you to go deeper and try to understand more, and then also try to understand where is Jesus in the middle of that conflict, and how do I respond as a person of faith? Um, so whether it's chaplaincy, um, whether it's, uh, you know, there was a beautiful doc called The Eternal Memory about Alzheimer's, maybe you're dealing with yep. aging in your congregation, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, uh, Beyond Utopia, was about uh, you know Pastor Kim in in helping defectors from North Korea, right? These are major geopolitical conflicts that all have yeah. these faith issues kind of floating around and, and essentially as part of them. And so, rather than seeing those things as separate from us, Sundance gets it into your into your soul. I think in the right kind of way. Oh, that's a great description because I was just going to say one of the things that these films do because they're usually done if it's done by a competent crew, it is to pull you in and make you um, ex- experience what you are seeing to a degree. And so, and so, rather than it being an abstract discussion with no names, no faces, no reality, it's it's in cinematographic technicolor or whatever, whatever you know, with Dolby sound on top of it. It, it and you're you're pulled in, and when, of course, when you're in a theater, you know, you're kind of immersed in what's in front of you, and so. Um, uh, it's maybe the ultimate uh, Baptist experience of immersion. I don't know, but uh, 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 but uh, uh, so so you you know so you're you're confronted with this, and you get and if the characterization is done well, of course, you get a sense of knowing the people and what they're wrestling with in the midst of these often challenging uh, scenarios, which I think causes anyone with any kind of sensitive or pastoral heart to be um, sensitive to what's going on around them relationally uh, and not just doctrinally, if I can make that distinction. And so uh, all of that, it seems to me, is important in developing um, someone who's who's thinking about being a mature Christian in a world that's obviously filled with filled with all kinds of challenges because of the fallenness of the world that we live in. Yeah. You know, Daryl, you, you 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 mentioned the last word, fallenness. One of the one of the themes that ran throughout our time was was the notion of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And how many of the filmmakers? were seeking to address that in one form or or another. Uh, how do we come to terms with it? How do we rise above it? Um, the ability to own it and transcend it, that was a constant theme throughout. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I find attractive having gone now for a few years is the everyone's dealing with they recognize what's going on, you know, and they're trying to come to grips with it and and to see it from this angle or that angle uh is 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 a way of kind of beginning to come to grips with sometimes how complex some of these situations that people um, put themselves in can be, or that life circumstances put them in. So brokenness is a good term, and it it does something else, Claude, that I think is important. That's a good alternative term to fallenness, because I think one of the things that Christians do is they will park on the fallenness part. This is where this comes up short, okay? Whereas it's the brokenness that. Co- 
produces the pastoral connection and relational connection that also has to be dealt with. And so yeah. both of those are important in the conversation. And what I find, and I think this is what surprised me about my own Sundance experience is, um, there are so many things that non-believers, I'll say it that way, are seeing and feeling and sensing that I tend to think sometimes in the church we miss because we're in the fallenness box rather than the brokenness box. Yeah. 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 So, so you know, a, a prime example of that, uh, one of those short films, uh, Just Hold On. Yes. About the girl who rides sheep, you mm. know, but she also has pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that is transcending brokenness. That is that is that is her ability to rise above this. What many would say cuts life off, but she doesn't allow it to do so. She rises above it. Um, you know. Now, whether whether that gets you know, a lot of play or not, that movie is powerful in its ability to show how we rise above. Mm-hmm. You know, another one along that line is the, the one movie, I think it won the award this last year in one of the categories, don't remember which, Scrapper, which was about a, a dad who picked up a relationship with a child abandoned child who had been returned to him after mom died. And of course, he wasn't planning on ever being a parent to this child. And the movie is about about his having to adjust to the presence of this of this responsibility, for lack of a better description, located in inner city London, uh, 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 with all the uh, what well, can I say all the accents attached thereunto, and, uh, and, and and that part of the city, and uh, and the challenge of just watching someone cope with having to care for someone when really it seems like. It, I think the movie kind of reflected this. Uh, it was someone who wasn't used to having to think about caring for someone else and building that relationship, et cetera. I mean, those are the kinds of themes that show up in at, at Sundance that are that are in the middle of really what ministry oftentimes ends up being. People who have yeah. who have walked into a situation in life that is challenging them immensely, and they're looking for help. Well, and, and film, I think at its best, I believe Roger Ebert called it an empathy machine, mm-hmm. right? It's literally generating, you know, feelings of identification, whether it's with the dad and Scrapper, whether it's with a single mom in a film like Flora and Son, um, whether it's with Iranian families in, in the Persian version, uh, whether it's with, um, you know, a, a teacher in Mexico uh, in a film like Radical, uh, it's both an empathy machine and it's also a transportation engine, right? So it's transporting you to places that you could not easily go, dropping you into situations that you may not be familiar with, um, and then uh, allowing you, uh, as as Bishop Alexander mentioned, right, to kind of uh, be ushered to a higher plane, a different plane of response, a more transcendent space. Um, because you're out of your comfort zone now, and now your eyes and ears are more attuned to uh, what's happening with other people 
And that's when you start to see, you know, gosh, well, if Jesus loves this person, how do I need to love this person? How do I need to care for this person and respond to this situation rather than judging it? Um, can I enter into it uh, in a compassionate way? And it does so in a glo- you know, Darryl, go ahead, God, go, go ahead. ahead. You, you know, you mentioned that the movie Scrapper and what another part that made it compelling is that it's looking at it from a child's point of view. Yes. How, how, how the director chooses to give the, the point of view, you know, can totally alter the experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so in that one is from the child's point of view. There was a movie that we saw not this past year, but the year before where it was from, uh, uh, the wheelchair point of view. Yes. Do you remember the name of yeah, that? Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but I know it was filmed with the camera on the edge of the wheelchair. So you're looking at everything okay. from that angle. I mean, that was an unbelievable piece of work. Right. And so how one chooses to even uh, frame, not just by way of the framing, but the point of view, opens up possibilities of consideration that you would not normally have. Yep, and the thing that I found interesting, and this is one of the things, another thing that I really enjoy about the week is the films come from all over the world. You know, so, I mean, in in just the, what, 10, 15 minutes we've been talking about these films, we've talked about a film that's in the UK, we've talked about a film that's in the Ukraine, we've talked about a film that has Persian roots. Uh, I remember, uh, this was two years ago now, I think there was a woman who, well, there there were two films juxtaposed to each other, if you paid attention. One was in a maternity ward in hospitals in the U.S., maternity wards in hospitals in the U.S. and the other was uh, was a woman who gave pregnancy care in uh, where was it somewhere in Asia and uh, uh, like Myanmar or someplace like that where there also were religious tensions associated with who she cared for that kind of thing you know and you get the you're you're plunged not only to a visual experience and a reflection about life's brokenness, but oftentimes you're plunged in in a cross-cultural way that you have very little chance of, uh, of replicating, as Craig mentioned earlier. I think that's part of the attraction of, of, of what happens at Sundance. And you can hear in the, in the undercurrent of what I'm saying that usually when Christians go to film, they go to film to critique it. And, and 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 say this is how this doesn't match up to the Bible or whatever, but actually there are things going on in films that are worth observing and reflecting on, and and not coming so much with that critical lens only, but also coming with a lens that says, okay, I want to understand the human experience that's being portrayed here, and think about what would be the best way to step into and minister to someone who's in this kind of a situation. Craig, I, talk about that a little bit, and then and then we'll talk about some of the technical aspects of film. Well, it brings to mind the uh, Leonard Cohen line from one of his songs that says there's a crack in everything that's how the light gets in hmm. um, i think that 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 that's where the the beginning with brokenness is you enter into that if, if you make room in your own heart right more space in our own hearts through these films you might find god surprising you in 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 how he's expanding your own vision your own heart um the, the film you mentioned i didn't see you there mm-hmm. um 
it took you inside Reed Davenport's experience as someone who is experiencing life from a wheelchair and mm-hmm. literally seeing things literally from his point of view, like where he sits and what, how, thinking about curbs differently and thinking about streets differently and buses and uh, apartments. Um, he, and the way people think, look away when he shows up. I mean, that was the, it's right there in the title. Exactly. I didn't see you there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I think having to deal with people who are not like us, who might be viewed as other um, whether that's the Af- Afghan immigrant experience in a film like Fremont, uh, whether that's what's going on with Native American uh, women in a film like Fancy Dance. Um, I, I just find myself uh, a richer person from having given myself, you know, 90 minutes, two hours of, of these folks' vision of, of life. And, and where they're coming from. And it inevitably causes you to reflect. If it's done well, it inevitably leads you to a place of reflection about, about uh, a, an array of life's uh, circumstances. Um, let me mention another film that at least I saw um, that I thought was interesting that, I, as far as I know, hasn't been picked up, but uh, raised interesting questions. It was what's called iPod Generation. It was the film about uh, about AI and the and imagining a world in which it would be possible to um, to I say this to give birth to a child without the child actually being in a physical woman's womb, but in a but in a technologically produced environment, and and the experience of thinking about that, and then the play that took place, because in this case it was a woman working for a corporation who wanted her to utilize this service so she could continue to be employed all the way through her pregnancy. Meanwhile, her husband, who originally didn't want to have anything to do with it, because this uh, this artificial womb, I don't know how else to describe it, was at home and he had to care for it, developed a connection that the woman didn't have. I mean, this is breaking all kinds of stereotypes and stuff, and done with such a sense of humor from a, a, a producer, I think, who was from Belgium or at least from Europe. I don't remember if it's Belgian or not, but anyway, the Belgians would do something like this. Anyway, it's... Um, that to me was an interesting film because it, it shows the way imagination can work in areas of terms of speculating where we could be headed. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Yeah. Did you see the pod generation, uh, Bishop Claude? I did. Yeah, I did. yeah, it's, yeah. It's available on. Um, I think you can see it on Amazon or or 
you know, Roku or wherever you buy and rent movies. It's, it's out there now. Oh, well, that's good. Because I actually thought it was where, I mean, it raised, well, I mean, the group I saw it with, the group of students I saw, we were talking about it for, you know, a long while after we walked out of the film, just because of the array. Of it. We talked about it in two ways. One, just the issue itself. And then secondly, the skill that we thought the people who put the film together approached a delicate topic and used humor among other things to get there yeah yeah that's that french director uh, sophie bart ah yeah she's she's charming did you did you like the film bishop claude did you remember it? i did i did and and this so uh so many different levels that that it addresses uh role reversal right mm -hmm. the, right in terms of the husband as opposed to the wife, uh, this notion of of freedom versus responsibility, you know. So, the continued the continuation of technology being able to quote unquote free us, re remove us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from things, and what happens when we go there. Mm -hmm. And institutional right. pressure, because she was doing this oh, yeah. solely because the company that she was working for was um, asking her to do it, demanding her to do it, rewarding her for doing it. I mean, take your pick, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. All of the above. And again, you know, the scary part is how close one really is to that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. We, you were talking about earlier, we were talking about how Sundance kind of is a, puts us ahead of the game in terms of what's being talked about culturally. Yeah. Well, yeah. here it's an example of Sundance looking forward and making us think about what may be lying ahead. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. It, it's a fascinating piece. So, um, so let's do a little scorecard checking. Okay. So, Craig, this is, this is you. Um, you know, Sundance took place in in January. Of course, what happens is people display their films, and they're hoping that they get picked up so they can get into wider distribution, right? I mean, that's part of – that's the market part of the business part of Sundance. Yeah. So, um, so how did that do this last year? I mean, where did stuff land? So the two biggest uh, films to sell, they each sold for around $20 million, uh, a film called Fair Play – sold to netflix and it's a very um i'll call it a dark thriller hmm. uh you know about um men and women and wall street and uh maybe toxic insecure masculinity and how far you're willing to go if women are getting promotions that you aren't and, and where jealousy leads uh and so that one's heavy uh and then and that's on netflix but then flora and son was bought by apple it stars Bono's daughter, Eve Hewson, as a single mom. Oh, I didn't know that, huh? A teen, a teen son that she's trying to reach. Um, and it was made by the, the gentleman who's a musician by background who made Sing Street and Once. And so it, it really allows us to, to use music as a way to kind of lift our spirits, lift out of our situations, imagine a different world from us. Um, Apple bought it because it involves uh, coaching uh, by a guitar teacher via Zoom and, and via the computer. Uh -huh. So it's about how the power of computer allows us to connect and the power of computers to make 
beats and make sounds. So it's a, it's a bit of a film about creativity, allowing us to get out of our um, maybe feels what feels like maybe a, a, a trapped situation. So mm-hmm. Flora and Son is the feel good film of the fall, which just released on Apple. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, and I, I've got some others here, um, still and underrated and a thousand and one and the, and they end up all over the place. Apple, Hulu, mm-hmm. Peacock. Um, That's right. uh, so, so, uh, and, and in fact, I think, uh, one that we alluded to earlier that we haven't developed, but I want to go back to 12 days in Mariupol, which was about the siege of Mariupol at the very beginning of the Ukrainian Russian conflict, uh, which ended up, I think on PBS, uh, uh, through the summer, et cetera, one of their major documentary presentations, mm-hmm. taking a close work look at taking close look not only at the war, but also giving people a feel of what it takes to be a really top flight photojournalist in a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well the the hard part is there's so much good work, it's very hard to find these things. Mm-hmm. And you oftentimes mm-hmm. if you blink, you'll miss it, which, you know, Apple, like they funded um the Michael Fox documentary still, the Steph Curry documentary underrated, the Judy Bloom uh, documentary. There's a little Richard documentary. So when you have a celebrity, that's easier to kind of get your head around when it's maybe um, uh, a story that you haven't seen, like a thousand and one that's available on Hulu. Now you've got Tiana Taylor, a great actor. She's a musician, you know, she's a known entity, but you haven't seen her in this kind of dramatic setting. Right. And if and if you blink, you kind of miss it, you know, in, in theaters, yet it's really beautifully done hard film, but also beautiful film about dedication and and love. Um Rye Lane is also on Hulu if you're looking for a Sundance film. Mm-hmm. Theater Camp mm-hmm. is on Hulu also. Um those are a little more like romantic comedies, a little more lighter um kind of flavor and 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 a little more hopeful in how the how one built happen. around celebrity i mean the first film that i saw this last year when i was at sundance was the one that featured brooke shields and and what her life was like um uh, you know when she was very very young thrust into a very uh we, we might even say prematurely sexualized um uh, environment and and the way she looks at all that now and what she sees and how she talks to her kids about it uh that kind of thing, a very interesting yeah. film. In fact, I was surprised by that film. I, I walked in yeah. saying, "Well, I signed up for this because it was on my it was on my menu." I'm not sure I would have volunteered to do to do this one, uh, but I ended up um, really being uh, really being caught by by just her her wrestling with her own self awareness, both as she was going through this and then her reflective self awareness afterwards, having been through it. And and just what that did yeah. to her in her life, um, uh, in some ways a frightening film about how she was, um, I, I want to say, um, taken advantage of uh, in order to be thrust into this limelight simply because she was attractive. Yeah, and that's also on Hulu uh, yeah. if you want to seek it yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it, it's interesting how so, – so, go so, ahead, Claude. So, you know, one of the things that you're scratching on, Craig, is the role of streaming and and how it has really changed the the distribution of movies. Um, You know, 
10 years ago, there was no Hulu or Netflix or Prime or so. And for people out there who might be listening to this, who've witnessed the recent uh, writer strike and one of, and, and don't know, can't make heads or tail of it. Can you speak a little bit about that as it relates to how we're viewing films, the access that we have, et cetera? Yeah, the so Sundance, um, an independent film, kind of fills in this middle space, right? They're 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 made outside the Hollywood system, so they're made for lower prices, but they also have more freedom of expression. Um, they don't have that pressure, you know, with a Marvel film where it's like they need two hundred million dollars just to break even, or a, a Star Wars update. Um, so these are smaller films that are really about bigger ideas. Um, and and right now the rise of streaming has kind of put a squeeze on independent film where you know there's many more outlets but they're also not paying at the same rates hmm. and so for artists and creators to have a sustained career um they've had to say hold on time out it can't be that there's just like three 200 million dollar movies what about the rest of us how do we sustain a career in film in tv and so the the strike was a way of saying Hey, due to technology and AI, the ability to duplicate me or to duplicate my work, um, we want to say time out and let's rethink this and let's come up with an equitable distribution for everybody. And and frankly, the streamers have seen good success with Sundance films. A, a film like Coda was bought, it was made outside the Hollywood system. It was bought at Sundance by Apple and then it ended up winning the Oscar for Best Picture. So this is what independent voices are capable of if they have that chance to come to the table. So that's what that strike was about. So I'm if, glad that they're winning. If the, someone the wants to dip their toe in kind of this independent film slash documentary world, is there a place for them to go to either one, find out what is out there or to view some of these uh, films uh, that don't get as wide a distribution? Is there a, like a collection point or at least an information collection point for what's going on? Actually, I don't think there is. I think that's a real problem. Interesting. Um, is that the, the, the fragmenting of the audience into all these different forms has, been, has made it really tough. I think a few labels uh, have become kind of go-to. So a company like A24 has a certain brand identity that allows you to say, okay, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't trust that studio, but I trust that brand, A24. Hmm. And so even in the last year at Sundance, they had a film like You Hurt My Feelings, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. They had a film like Past Lives uh, by a director, uh, Celine Song. It was just gorgeous. But they also had a breakout hit with a, a film like Talk To Me, a horror film from Australian YouTubers. Um, so they do a range of product uh, and projects um, that I think are of a slightly higher quality. Uh, you think of a, an Oscar nominee like and a winner like Minari, a uh, Korean-American immigrant experience film. That was A24 releasing that. So you can trust certain brands within the independent world, I would say. Hmm. So that ends up being a, a challenge then in terms of uh, 
in terms of uh, what goes on. You know, I'm having trouble thinking of the title of this, but the other thing that's interesting is you've got what you might call full-length feature films that, you know, run your 90 minutes or two hours. And then you've got these little things called shorts, okay? Uh, As I'm thinking about this, the reason I'm laughing is they may be short on time, but they're not short on content. You know, they they, – and the one that I remember is the one made, I think it's of a of a of a black filmmaker with his it was his father or or something who he's caring for and and it's about the special connection that they had in the midst of uh, in the midst of their developed relationship. Man, I can't remember the title of it, but I do remember thinking, what a what an interesting work. Yeah. Well, these are segregated that, that, on, on Windrider, that, right? You can talk about that some. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually won the Amplify Award, which was Windrider's first uh, award for a black filmmaker. And I forget the title of the film. That's fine. I'm going to look it oh up. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it, but it was pro- pro- profound in that it was father-son relationship Grief, mental health, all wrapped up into uh, like five to ten minutes. I mean, and done in animation. Wow. I mean, that's the amazing uh, part of it. It was it, and done in animation. Yeah, told yeah. the story, but did it in animation. It didn't just do it straight. And so, uh, just a fascinating right. film about about connection. I mean, you know, I remember you know, they had a certain way of communicating when they wanted to talk to each other and a certain code language that they used and that kind of thing. I think check in. Check in. Is that what it's yeah. called? No, I, that's what they did. Oh, that's each other, right? Yeah. That was, so, yeah. um anyway, uh, you know, these and in packing all kinds of stuff in a short period another short that I remember and again, I'm not sure I remember the title of this. Uh, maybe it was uh uh, it was the one on miscarriage. Um, was it black hole? But W H O L E, which was taking a family through their sense yeah. of loss and recovery as they had gone through a miscarriage, which of course can be devastating to a family, and uh, um, yeah. and and yeah. Re- reproducing the the trauma and the reflection and the experience and the sense of loss. I mean, doing all that all at the same time, very visually, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, we have the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's amazing sometimes how much absence of dialogue leads to reflection about what's taking place. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know where you can find these? If you go to windriderstudios.org, uh-huh. uh, they have all of the award-winning short films that we've featured uh, at Sundance. Um, and so they're all gathered in that one place, windriderstudios.org. You can join um, for uh, a month for free and just sort of check it out. The film that we were talking about is called Grab My Hand. Yeah. A letter to my dad. Yeah, grab my letter to my dad, and it was about doing a gate check. Gate check—that was the expression. To make You're sure right. That, yeah, that, that, yeah, uh, yeah. That you're doing well. Yeah, that was a great piece. You know, we have we have a carousel on our own webpage that ha- is a Windrider carousel that takes some of the best of these and makes it available to people who are connected to the Hendrix Center as well, because we're really committed. 
here uh, as we think about public engagement in public space, about people thinking about uh, the culture, the arts, what what they deal with, and and again, because we're talking about independent films, you know, most people when they think about films, they're thinking about what the major studios produce as entertainment, and in some cases, I say to distract us from life. In some cases, uh, even though sometimes good films that are produced by studios do have some underlying questions, they tend not to be as focused at the trauma and empathy and reflective elements as the stuff that you see at Sundance. You think that's a fair way to characterize the difference between what comes out of studios oftentimes and what comes out of these independent films? Yeah. I, I say it it's as simple as the most studios are designed to comfort you. Um, and so you you walk in maybe feeling tired and, and beat down at the end of a week and a uh, happy, bright ending kind of lifts your spirit. So they they comfort the afflicted. Uh, independent films, I, I think, tend to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> the powers that be yeah. And yeah. saying, something's wrong yeah. here, something, and we need to fix something. And so they, they're more about disturbing the peace mm-hmm. uh, than, than offering mm-hmm. reassurance. Um, and so it's a lot in a week, week-long experience to process that many kind of hard messages. But it gives you so much to think about yeah. to carry throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I tease the students that I go with. I say that I see more films in one week than I do probably in four years otherwise. So uh, <laughs> uh, just the, just the nature of my own life. But it, but it, is, it is a really good tap into uh, what people are wrestling with and why. Uh, well, Claude and Craig, our our time is up. I really thank you for taking uh, the time to kind of uh, help people understand uh, what's going on in the arts, what's going on with independent films, what Sundance is about, what Windrider is, and just uh, possibly encouraging people to think about a different way to listen to what's going on in the culture that might actually open up some, some vistas to see life from a little different angle and appreciate what's involved. So thank you all very very much for the time. We'll see you in the snow. Well, uh, just uh, right ahead. There I mean, yeah, yeah, we're we're I, I, we're turning the corner here in Texas in terms of the weather. I know we haven't quite reached you in Phoenix, but we're praying for you, Craig. <laughs> uh, so I want to thank. Go ahead, Claude. Nope, we're good. Okay. I want to thank you for being a part of the table, and uh, we hope you'll join us again soon. If you're interested in any other of our podcasts, you can see them at voice.dts.edu slash tablepodcast, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.